With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. Well, I knew you were swacked, but really... Oh, boy. I didn't have that much to drink. Oh. Hoo-hoo! Bob, where are we? I had hoped we were in the bedroom of an apartment on West 12th Street in New York City. Well, we're not. Look, there's one citizen that makes no pretense about staring. Isn't he cute? All right, but come on, honey. No, no, shh. I think he's tame. Oh, come look. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a real doll. He nice, baby. Hey, sweetheart. <laughs> Touched him and he fell over dead. Yeah. This thing's been dead for years. What would anybody want with a stuffed squirrel? Oh, Mel, don't ask me to figure out why anybody does anything in this hex town. Still here, yeah. Where are you going? First, I'd like to find out where we are. Second, I'd like to use their phone. Third, I'd like to beg, buy, borrow, or steal an app. I can see old Mr. Peabody now. Fraser, we're a team here. Yeah. When one member of that team lets us down, the whole organization yeah. suffers. <laughs> no. No, well, uh, uh, maybe it's not the same Centerville. It's the same one. So on the street. Nothing real. How did we get back there? Going in a circle.
keep it going full steam. Sweet to be, sour too nice to be. Me. When on the top, got style, I'm not too keen. Try to change the world, I'm a plot and scheme. Music and clip guy uh, is having some computer problems. Is that right, Robert? Yeah, I got system restore on the stupid computer and still restoring. So That's okay. Uh, I was having problems too, so it uh, looks like they're cleared up. But just in case, um, I am going to have Bobby read the synopsis for the show today. And now, Mr. Serling. Bob and Millie Frazier. Average young New Yorkers who attended a party in the country last night and on the way home took a detour. Most of us on waking in the morning know exactly where we are. The rooster or the alarm clock brings us out of sleep into the familiar sights, sounds, aromas of home and the comfort of a routine day ahead. Not so with our young friends. This will be a day like none they've ever spent, and they'll spend it in the twilight zone. So, Bobby, turn it over to you. All righty. This one, uh, Stop Over in a Quiet Town, which is written by Earl Hamner, Jr. And the synopsis is, a married couple, Bob and Millie Frazier, wake up in an unfamiliar house. They remember only that they both drank too much at a party the night before and that on the way home, Millie remembers a large shadow had appeared over their car. They soon discover that the house is mostly props. The telephone has no connection. The cabinets have glued on fronts. The refrigerator is filled with plastic food. Kind of reminds me of our apartment. They (laughs) hear a little girl's laughter and go outside to find the child. But once outside, they, they, they discover that the town is deserted. They find a stuffed squirrel in a tree. Then they search for help in a vacant church. Bob rings the church bell, hoping someone will come over, come to their aid, but no one does. The desperate couple discovers even the trees are fake, and the grass is paper mache. Millie begins to think that perhaps she crashed their car on the way home, and they are now in hell. Suddenly, they hear a train whistle, and thinking they have finally found a way out of town, rush to the train station and board the empty train. As the train leaves the station in the town revealed to be Centerville, they begin a relieved and lighthearted conversation. 
However, when the train soon comes to a stop, Millie opens the window shade to show that they're again in Centerville. They realize it has only gone in a circle, and they are back where they started. They leave the train and return to the center of town, once again hearing a little girl's laughter, and are now pursued by a shadow. The shadow is cast by the hand of a giant, chubby little girl. She reaches down and picks them up, laughing happily, and they look like ants in the palm of her hand. A couple have been abducted to a planet inhabited by humanoid alien beings, many times the size of humans. And the shadow that was cast over them before the story began, as the audience figures out from the girl's mother chiding, was, was that of the little girl's father who brought them home to her from Earth as pets for her dollhouse. Her mother tells her it's time for lunch, and the little girl drops them back into the town, which is similar to a mock-up model railway town with a rail line traveling in a circle around it. As the terrified couple frantically resume their running, Rod Serling sardonically reminds the viewer not to drink and drive. Lynn? Okay. And by the way, before uh, I give my comments on this episode, I do want to welcome our uh, guest here today, Felix. Hi, Felix. And Rick. It's always great to have Rick here. And, of course, I'm with my co-host, Robert, Bobby, and Dave. Bobby was good enough to read the opening comments or the opening and Brilliantly, too. And brilliantly, too. <laughs> Since uh, I was having some computer issues, which seems to have cleared up, I hope. Um, okay, well... This is the best show we ever did. You don't know why. <laughs> okay, well, I love this episode. I, I felt broken, Sarah. I was back to season one. Where it yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right, when he when he used to give them, yeah. Well, I love this episode. Uh, you know, it keeps my interest, really keeps my interest from the start to the finish. To, as, to me, you can feel the fear and the anguish of the Frasers, as they stumble through this nameless town with no people, no way out. Everything's a prop and fake, and, you know, you feel their desperation. You know, when they ring that church bell to attract the attention of anybody at all, and they don't, you feel that hopelessness. And then when they board the train in anticipation of finally getting home, they, they find out that the train is simply going around in circles. Oh, my God, you, just, you feel so bad for them. Like, come on, how could this be? Now, I, I thought Barry Nelson and oh, uh, Nancy Malone. I thought Barry Nelson and Nancy Malone were excellent in the roles. And the sound of the little girl laughing in the background—that was a great touch. And uh, you know, it's just—it was very Twilight Zone-ish. I mean, other Zone episodes did have similar themes to this one, but everything about this episode was great, and even a little chilling at times. And in my opinion, the ending. I didn't think it was predictable at all. Uh, you, you, you just had no idea that this little girl was at a dollhouse and, and these were her pets. And, you know, this, I think this is one of season five's best episodes. And I know that isn't saying much considering the lousy offerings in, in season five, but there were a few winners thrown in, and th- this was a definite winner. And I'm rating this a four and a half. Because I think it was Twilight Zone in just about every respect. So and was it one woman that um, was in it? Was she in the miniature one for season four? Nancy Malone. Yeah. 
No, this was her only TZ episode. Oh, okay. So it must have been a difference. But I will, I will tell you something. You know who Nancy Malone reminds me of? Now, I don't know if anybody else will think this. I, it must be like her hair color and her, her just j- just her, her uh, complexion. Every she reminds me of Inger Stevens. Hmm. You know, from the Hitchhiker and all. I don't know. It's just something about her. Just uh, reminds me somewhat of Inger Stevens. So I thought she was very good. So Robert, over to you. Okay, thank you, Lynn. Yeah, um, I was okay with this episode. Um, I uh, pretty much give it a three out of five when I or when I wrote it. When I did it. Um, it very much reminds me of a uh, Doctor Who episode, um, and when I wrote the review, I put the wrong series. I put Series 5 down. It was supposed to be Series 6. Um, episode I'm talking about is Night Terror. It was um, done by uh, Mark Gatiss, a writer that was influenced by horror movies and sci-fi and stuff like that, and I felt that he gave an homage to the Twilight Zone with um, that episode that he did. And I kind of mentioned it to you and Bobby about you might want us to watch it. I don't know if you guys ever um, downloaded a copy or watched it. No, I don't think we did. Because it kind of has the same setup a little bit. It's different where the doctor gets a call for um, a kid who... um, was scared. It's set in like this apartment, what we would say here, apartment complex. And he um, is afraid of the monsters. And so Dr. Amy and Rory, this is the 11th Doctor. Um, series 6 is what I meant, that series 5 in the review. Anyway, um, it involved the dollhouse in, this ep- in that episode. And um, it was kind of a, a nice comparison if you remember the opening where um, um, in the Twilight Zone episode there, you know, you're getting ready to make, Bob, get ready to make a phone call and the phone comes off. They're trying to right. find a pencil to write a note and the drawers pop off and then they open the refrigerator up and it's all um, play, food, you know, play food and stuff like that. In the Night Terror ones, Ham and the child's father is um, what you would say transferred into the uh, dollhouse in the boy's cabinet. And that's who they needed at that time was the doctor because the doctor has painfully figured out what was going on. And he, him and his father was transported into this dollhouse. He was trying to tell him, well, you know, wooden food, you know, chicken plates and and stuff like that, all wooden. Say, I'm going to find out where we are. Oh, uh, information 411? I don't know. Just dial-o. Bob! Bob, what, what, what do you mean, Bob? The thing wasn't wired in. Well, you pulled it too hard. <laughs> Still has to be wired in. Well, just put it back, please. You got a pencil? No. There must be one around here somewhere. Mm, she's not a very good housekeeper. All the draw stick. Bob, would you help me, please? Oh. 
stage, Brad. Uh, it's a prop. Just empty cartons. Good thing I don't believe in ghosts. Oh, neither do I, but let's uh, let's get out of here anyway. George! George, don't do this! We want to help you, George! <laughs> we went we went we went into the cupboard. We went into the cupboard! How can it be bigger in here? More common than you'd think, actually. You okay? Where are we? Obvious, isn't it? No! Doll's house. We're inside the doll's house. The doll's house? Yeah, in the cupboard in your flat, the doll's house. No, look, just slow down, would you? Look, wooden chicken, cups, saucers, plates, knives, forks, fruit, chickens, wood. So, we're either inside the doll's house, or this is a refuge for dirty, posh people who eat wooden food, or termites, giant termites, trying to get on the property ladder. No, that's possible. Is that possible? And also the laughter of the dolls in the dollhouse, the laughter of the child in the episode. Very, like I said, very similar to uh, what uh, we see in uh, the uh, Quiet Town episode. So, and I wish I had that um, clip uh, from the third Doctor from Carnival of uh, Monsters about the miniscope. Just as I thought. A miniscope. Now this is outrageous. Who is responsible for this device? Because when we see the, the size of them at the end and the little girl playing with the dollhouse, it very much reminds me of the Doctor Who episode, also uh, Carnival of uh, Monsters with uh, John Pertwee. He was the third Doctor back around 70s. And they were in this machine called a miniscope, which shrunk them down. I was kind of reminded of that. So. And like I said, it was it, it was an okay episode. Um, I give it a three out of five. I'll go ahead and pass it to Bobby there, Bobby. Okay. Oh, more of me. Oh, how nice. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, this episode reminds me of that old adage that you should be uh, careful of the company you keep. Only this time, it works in reverse. There is no doubt that it benefits greatly by being surrounded by the absolute swill of season five. Compared to that, this is an all-time classic, although it probably would not look as good had it been in one of the first three seasons. I do enjoy it on many levels, but let's face it, this is nothing new, and that's putting it mildly. In fact, after repeating storylines again and again and again as the series nears its merciful end, it goes all the way back to the very first episode of the series. It's simply the very beginning with the episode, Where Is Everybody?, with a different ending. There's, there, Where Is Everybody? was just on MeTV uh, less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the, virtually the same story. Wandering around the town, nobody's anywhere, nothing is real. It's the same story. It's not a bit different, except the ending. But it doesn't stop there. The end of this episode is also a absolute recreation of the ending of the uh, episode, The Little People, 
when a giant alien reaches down and picks up a pitiful little earthling, only in that story the human is crushed and discarded instead of being put back down. And it doesn't end there either. It also has elements of five characters in search of an exit in it, with an unexplained child's laughter in the background, substituting for the sounds of a bell ringing. And this proves only one thing, and that's that writer Earl Hammer Jr. knows his Twilight Zone episodes. Nice girl, going Earl, you, at least you picked some of the very best moments from the past. If only someone had broken his glasses and some people with hideous pig faces had shown up, it would have been <laughs> complete. It's kind of a best of Twilight Zone. So there's one other thing to admire in this, too, and that's the, uh, the Twilight Zone having had its budget cut down to absolutely nothing. There can be no special effects of any kind, and they don't have any. They simply took two actors and turned them loose on a real-life movie set with its fake trees and stuffed swirls and let it go at that. <laughs> Nobody wandering the town. You don't have to pay any extras. You don't have to do any special effects. You don't have to have any props. You don't have to do anything. You've got to admire Rod Serling for uh, uh, keeping the Actually, theory running. Actually, they did have props. They had a lot of props. But they're just they're props you find on any movie set. Yeah, but there's still props. There. There's still props. So what? You can put them down in the middle there's of the There's still area. props, the same are they not? You just there's said no that there were no props, but everything there is a prop. What did I just say? That there anyway. were no props. Anyway, like I was trying to say, <laughs> if it cost more than $1.75 to make this episode, I'd be mighty surprised, even in 1964 dollars. I still do enjoy it, though. It's a pretty, it's an interesting episode. It's, it's, it's somewhat imaginative. Two innocent people have lost their way and find themselves in the middle of an unexplained nightmare from which there is no escape. It's a familiar theme that actually reminds me of another real-life episode, and that's the one where somebody who calls himself Bobby Near get stuck in something called Season 5 of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> oh, yeah, that really was scary. But all nightmares must end, even this one, in April. As for my rating, I deducted one point for the lack of originality and awarded four points for Mr. Hamner's terrific ability to remember way back 150 episodes ago to where it all began. Lynn? Okay. Yeah, well, I, I think as far as the props, I think, um, well, Rick, I think what you're saying was like there's nothing, you know, special as far as props. Yeah, I know you said no props, but I think there's nothing special. I mean, you have the fake trees and you have the dead squirrel or the stuff. It's still say. props. Well, yeah, they're props, you know. Uh, but it was low uh, Excuse me, uh, who has worked in the business off and on for about 25 years? You Please raise have, your hand. You uh, I'm raising my hand. Is anybody else? No? All right, good. They are props. I don't care if they're laying on the set or not. They are still props. They still exist. They are still props. Now they were cheap props. You know, what I wonder, though, is, you know, with them being so small, as we see, how they, how was that squirrel able to be stuffed with it being so small? It had to be in some really tiny hands to get the stuff in that squirrel. <laughs> Only you would think of that, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Only you would think <laughs> <laughs> they were Obvious. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. 
But the budget, we, we all know the budget was cut down really low. And obviously, all of those props, most, I would say most of those props are naturally used from, from episode to episode to episode. Um, I think that set, a lot of that set was the same set that was used on, uh, in Mr. Dingle the Strong in the park scene. Um, I seen the body electric. There was a big park scene there. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of those props were used, but you know they gave they gave Rod very little money. It's a shame, you know they they just didn't care how much money they, you know, took away from them. They do, they wanted them to do it on a cheap budget. But anyway, I'm going to turn this over to Dave. Uh, hi, thanks, Lynn. Uh, yeah, uh, season five, episode one hundred and fifty, twenty fourth of April, nineteen sixty four. Uh, now I didn't get a chance to watch this right through. Uh, I. I I could only find uh, snippets of it, so I, uh, I watched the the opening scene of it uh, and the end. And I have, I mean, of course, I have seen it before, maybe ten years ago, the last time I saw it uh, in its entirety. Um, uh, the, I will just say that there was one special effect, and that's of course where where the child picks them up, and she's in their hand, um, a little bit like um, you know a, a, a lad in a. Um, uh, you know the thousand and one nights where the genie's got the the person in the hands with the frying pan and the uh, and the sausages. Well, they couldn't afford the frying pan and the sausages, but they <laughs> certainly had the uh, the couple uh, sitting in the little child's hands. But yes, it, it, it was um, it definitely meant you had to be um, uh, you know be wowed over, I suppose, by the actors and acting. Well. Uh, the main actor, of course, uh, Barry Nelson, famously the very first person to portray uh, James Bond uh, on uh, TV or film. He played James Bond in Casino Royale about 10 years prior to this. Uh, strangely, by the way, uh, this couple, um, although I suppose it was it was quite usual in Hollywood and places at that time, probably people will argue it's still now, uh, that he is the actor. Uh, the, the 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 man in the relationship he was actually 47 the actor and um the nancy malone's just 29 so you know nearly a 20 year age gap between the two of them but i um, didn't know that yeah he, he he was um he was 47 he was born in um uh 1917 well, um, no there was that much of an age April the 16th, so he was, when they were actually filming this, presumably he was just 47, and um, she didn't turn 30 until, um, uh, she may have just turned, she may have just turned, no, she just turned 29, so, um, yeah. They didn't um, look like there was that much of a difference in the range. No, no, it didn't, no, it didn't, and... Um, for when you were mentioning that other actor, uh, actress, I did put a link in the room. Remember, anybody listening to these recordings later, they go to www.chatgrabber.com, put in call series 68228, uh, and look for episode 150. They can find the little links that people put in during the, the course of the call. So I haven't got a lot to say about it, but um, yes, it was very derivative, uh, and I thank Bobby, because I... I I hadn't remembered that many um, similarities between all the different ones, but it has been used before. Of course, um, it is a staple of science fiction, isn't it, that either you're shrunk down or you land up in a land of giants, shall we say. Um, so um, it could have been a stronger episode if it had had some 
care lavished on it. It was probably just about saved. But, um, you know, we better run out of episodes soon because I'm I'm trending towards Bobby's way of thinking. The further <laughs> we go on here, we can't have that, can we? So uh, I think I'll stop at that. Just to say, uh, yeah, small cast um, in a literal sense as well as figuratively. And, um, yeah, the... I think what Bobby was trying to say, it wasn't the fact that they didn't use props. They they didn't pay for any new props. They couldn't even afford Forbidden Planet borrowed props on this one, I don't think. Uh-huh. Uh, rating, that's a difficult one on this one. I think I'll go uh, at three, three out of five. Okay. And and seeing the little people in, in seeing them in the little girl's hand, you know, it's true, and I didn't think of that until Bob said it, was, you know, uh, in the little people, the giant picks up the the astronaut, and you see him standing in the giant's hand, and it's just a little tiny thing, and then he throws him back to on the giant throws him back on the ground and crushes him. But you know, he says he didn't mean to, but you know. You know what would be nice, Lynn, is instead of it being Centerville, the train station, should have been Willoughby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, now there would have been another bar, right? That would have been another bar from that set. That would have been good, considering yeah. toward the end, toward the end of the season. Okay, Rick. Um, nobody mentioned the uh, land of the giants, which I believe was about that t- this time. Oh, I thought yeah. I just mentioned. I thought I just mentioned it. And um. Oh, I didn't know you mentioned. I'm sorry, Dave. You, you didn't specifically mention it, uh, Dave. You just kind of glossed over it. Uh, no, I said because they, they did, have... because they did have an episode where the uh, uh, the crew of the uh, ship that were on the uh, uh, landed a planet um, were captured by a little girl and um, uh, was treated much like the uh, two people <clears throat> in this episode uh, as, as, as pets and, and whatnot. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think the line, take care of your, your human pets, dear, is a line from uh, Land of the Giants. Yeah. Now, having said that, uh, I don't know, I liked it. Um, yeah, okay, fine, derivative as it is. I still like the episode, although I don't think it holds up much nowadays, or maybe because I've seen it so much, you know, it doesn't offer any surprises anymore or anything like that. But uh, I give it a four. Okay. Well, great. Okay, so let's see. Felix gives it a one and a half. Okay, that's okay. Felix gives it a one and a half. He was not crazy about it. And uh, Rick gives it a four. And Dave gives it a three. And Robert gives it... Robert, you gave it a three? Yeah, I give it a three. Okay. And I gave it a four and a half. And Bobby, would you give it? Four. A four. Okay, so we're kind of across the board on it. But uh, for the most part, most people liked it. And that's okay. Terrific. So would, and would you say that this was his second best next to the hunt of all the ones he did? Who, Earl Hamner? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah. loved the hunt. I think the hunt was the best one he did, and this would have to be number two. But it's a close number two. I mean, I, I would... I he also wrote Ring of Ding Girl, too. 
Yeah, Ringo Tune Girls. Yeah, I'm not crazy about that. But, um, yeah, The Hunt and this one are... Yeah. Earl Hamner, he's one of those writers he for did, the Twilight Zone that had ups and downs, he, you know. He did, he did eight. The Hunt, The Piano in the House, J- Jesse Bell, uh, Ring-a-Ding Girl, You Drive, Black Leather Jackets, Stop yeah. Over in a Quiet Town, and The Bewitching Pool. The last episode of the series, yeah. Oh, yeah, Piano in the House, I didn't mind too much either. I would give that like a, I think he had that a three or something. Yeah, I mean, he had his ups and downs. He had some very good episodes, and he had some terrible episodes, like Black Leather Jackets, and unfortunately, the last episode of the series is his, which is not a great episode to close the series out with, but, uh, yeah. Well, but, Rod must have seen something in him as a writer to uh, bring him on. So. Yeah. And, of course, we all know, or hope, hopefully we all know, that Earl Hamner Jr. was the um, uh, creator of The Waltons, the TV, TV series The Waltons, which was very, very successful. Whether you liked it or you didn't like it, it was very successful. And our next show is going to be on, um, oh, my God, we're already in the March. March 14th is our next show. And that is going to be uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day episode. Yes, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day, March 14th. Yes, we're as close. We're as close as we can be. St. Patrick's, yes. And that is going to be, what is that going to be? Oh, yeah, two episodes we're going to do that that day. The Encounter and Mr. Garrity and the Graves. Captain's Log, Stardate 8141.6. Starship Enterprise departing for SETI Alpha 5 to pick up the crew of USS Reliant. All is well. And yet I can't help wondering about the friend I leave behind. There are always possibilities, Spock said. And if Genesis is indeed life from death, I must return to this place again. He's really not dead. As long as we remember him. It's a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done before. A far better resting place I go to than I've ever known. Is that a poem? Mm. Something Spark was trying to tell me. My birthday. You okay, Jim? How do you feel?
nobody's yeah. going to mention that uh, Leonard Nimoy died? Oh, my God, oh, yes. Oh, jeez, I'm sorry. You yeah, just did. Yeah, <laughs> you just did, yeah. Oh. Very, very sad. Very sad. A legend, you know, and uh, one of, you know, they're really, what can you say? I mean, a legend, truly. And um, you can't think of Star Trek without thinking of him. I mean, you had Captain Kirk, but to me, it's, I think that, I think uh, Mr. Spock is always going to be Star Trek, you know, and and it was, it's a shame. I mean, how old does he have? Was he eighty three? I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah eighty three, and seems uh, from what I've read about him, he lived a very good life. You know, he's a happy guy. He had a lot of things going on. Wrote a lot of books. Wrote poetry. And yeah, you know, what was interesting with um, Leonard Nimoy was. Um, he tried to get away from the Spock image. He came out with a couple of books saying that I'm not Spock, and then he uh-huh. later on embraced um, Spock character and said that I am Spock. So kind That's of right. He always should have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was like, in a way, he didn't want to be typecast in that, and then, but he knew he was. I mean, he was typecast. But, um, you know, he was on all most of the movies. The most of the Star Trek movies. Um, yeah. Well, the other things he did was too. He did in search of. Um, yeah, I remember that? I God, yeah. I forgot about that. In search of, yes. presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only one, to the mysteries we will examine. You know, and he went to, he went to the conventions, he went to all the Star Trek conventions, almost all of them. I think he missed a couple, but he went to most of the Star Trek conventions. And he was just, they say, I mean... Wasn't he in a Twilight Zone episode? Um, yes, he was, um, Equality of Mercy. Ah, thank you. In Equality he of Mercy. He also in an Outer Limits one about the, uh, I think it was a robotic hand or something like that. I can't remember which Outer Limit episode he was in, but he was in the Outer Limits. Yeah. yeah was that the, the, the man with, with the glass hand? Where no. It was the, uh, oh, right. No. You remember I, Robot. Okay. Uh, what was it? I, Robot? Yes. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. Well, the Equality and Mercy had a small part, but, you know, it's a very, it was very young. I, it was before uh, the Twilight Zone, I believe. But, um, yeah, he and was... And what was great was something. towards the end, too, he became friends with J.J. J. Abrams. He was in the uh, uh, last two um, revisioned Star Trek movies. Um where um, he repraised his role um, in both of those. Also, um, in the series Fringe, as William Bell. And he played that character in that series. Mm. Didn't he win the Oscar for directing Three Men and a Baby? 
I oh, think so. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Isn't that something? He did all them. Yeah. And you would never, you know, for some reason, you just would never put him and that movie together. You know, if if you think about Leonard Nimoy, you think about Mr. Spock, you think about the roles he's done and everything he has, you would never think of Leonard Nimoy being involved with a movie like The Revenge and the Baby. But, yeah, he did. He won the Oscar for that. He was just well, a terrific he did direct Star he did direct Star Trek three and four, so mm-hmm. well, that you would that you would connect him with, but three men and the baby I would never have connected him with. But yeah, he did win the Oscar for that. And even one thing Oscar. out. What's that? He was Jewish like me. Oh yeah, he was Jewish, that's right. He was Jewish. <laughs> He's a good old Jewish boy. Oh, he was he was a wonderful actor and he was a legend and and it's very sad. It's very sad. I mean, he was 83, but, you know, he'll be missed. And uh, there's something else I want to say about him. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, well, he died of emphysema. In, and supposedly, now, I'm not sure if I read this correctly, but he did quit smoking a while back. But I think he had already now, there's had... an interview on YouTube with him in which he says that he quit smoking and he was surprised that he got emphysema anyway. Yeah, yeah, he had quit smoking, yeah. But he was always seemed like a happy fellow, you know. And from articles I read, you know, a long time ago, they say he was very nice. He was just a very nice person. He was always nice and gracious to his fans. You know, he was never snobbish, never turned them away. He, he would talk to anybody, you know, and he just seemed like a wonderful person. So, yeah, he'll be sorely missed. He was a wonderful person. There is an audio I like to recommend, Whitney Moy, um, called Spock versus Q. And I got it on my iPod, and I just listened to it um, about a week and a half ago. Where can you find that? Um, what's that one audio thing that um, they promote? Guys? They have it on YouTube also. Is it on oh, YouTube? Okay. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Check that out. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah, I was very sad when I heard about it. Oh, well. Okay, guys. Well, on that note, we will end the show, and we'll say a good... I'm not even going to say good night, because it's only 5.30. A good evening to everybody. Good afternoon to some. And have a great... Hey, it's nighttime in the other side of the world. That's right. It's midnight where Dave is, isn't it? Around 11 midnight somewhere? No, 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 because you moved it an hour early, you remember now, it's 5, not 6. It's uh, 10.40. 10.40, so it's not that late, yeah. You still have enough time for a couple more glasses of wine, Dave. Oh, good on you. Great idea. <laughs> I, I would never have thought of that. Never. I know. I'm glad I reminded you. <laughs> Okay. Well, guys, have a wonderful rest of the weekend. I'll see you in two weeks on March 14th, and we'll do our next show. Okay, so have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.